The following is a King's Chapel, Alaska presentation with Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion's making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's call and help us be the personal, powerful, permeating church God's called us to be. For more information, visit kcalaska.com or find us on Facebook. Here's Pastor Daniel. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Genesis as we continue In our series, In the Beginning, a few more messages and we'll be complete with it. We are doing a series out of the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis because it is in those 11 chapters that you will find truth by which you're to build your life on. God has given us His Word. It is truly a lamp unto a feet, a light upon our path. His Word is truth. And if you don't know the truth, then fact is you will remain bound. Jesus said you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. Come on, somebody say yes. That's true. That's that's true. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. But in this global world, information age that's transferred so quickly, instantly, the other side of the world, you can get news and send email and and, uh, you can nearly find out whatever it is to do. You can find it out on YouTube, how to prune a tree. You can find out how to, how to study the Bible all on YouTube. You just want to make sure they're reputable sites. But the truth is, you can figure out anything. You know, all of the things are in books. Just about everything now is, is on the Internet. The only challenge is that some of the stuff you might be reading might not be true. I hate that. It's terrible when you read something and, and ingest it, make it part of your life, and find out you're totally wrong. And so we've endeavored to put a foundation in place. All of these messages are available for free. They're online, kcalaska.com. They're on our YouTube channel. You can get that. All of it's free. Freely we've received. Freely we give. And so we look today at the flood. Genesis chapter 7, starting in verse 16. Your notes say 17, but I love 16, so I just sort of backed it up a little bit. Here it comes. You ready? Genesis chapter 7. We'll read Genesis 7, 16 through Genesis 8, 5. We'll then go to the New Testament reading 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 through 14. Let's read from the New King James I'm reading today. Here we go. So those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Everybody say, the Lord shut him in. Yeah, the Lord shut him in because he couldn't, and it is the finalization of judgment. It's over. Verse 17. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth, and the waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. Many people call it a boat. It's really a barge. God's moving this thing. It doesn't have a motor. It doesn't have a rudder. Verse 19, And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered, and the waters prevailed 15 cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle, beasts of every creeping thing that lives on the earth and every man. 
all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life. All that was on the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both men and cattle, creeping thing, bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150, how many days? 150 days. Chapter 8, verse 1. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. God made wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the waters decreased. And then the ark rested on, in the seventh month, the seventeenth day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month, in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Go now, please, to the New Testament. The book of Second Peter. And chapter 3. From verse 3, we will read. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers all fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed being flooded, uh, pardon me, perished, being flooded with water. Verse 7. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is like it's a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some count slackness, but as long-suffering toward us. Oh, I might preach this morning. I'm just saying, hold on. But as long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. But on the earth... And the works that are in them will be burned up. Therefore, since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for the hastening of the coming of the day of God, because of which heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace without spot and blameless. Let's pray. Father, thank You for what You're going to do, what You did Saturday night, what You did in the first service this morning, and what You're going to do right now. Come. 
Let the fire of your spirit just burn in this place. May we never be the same. Anoint me, God, to teach, to preach, that all of us would hear the word of the Lord being changed and our families as we depart from this house today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, the author of the book of Genesis, you say, well, who's the author? You say, well, God's the author. Well, that's a good answer. The Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, is called the Pentateuch, is written by Moses. And Moses penned those, moved along by the Holy Spirit, penning the truth of creation and the law and so on and so forth. And it is rather amazing to me. Let me say, well, how did he know? One man said it was passed on through oral tradition. But I like what a rabbinic scholar said as I studied the hiding of Moses in the cleft of the rock. Where all of his goodness passes by. God eternal passes by. And he allows, he allows Moses to see his back. And I believe in seeing his back as I was taught by rabbinic writings. In seeing his back he saw eternity pass and actually knew everything that happened at creation. And then wrote it down. Makes sense. Kind of amazing. And so Moses, the author, is very conscious of time in this text. Verse 11. It's the 600 years of the 600th year of Noah's life. And, and this flood comes. It lists the day and the month. It goes on to say it rained for 40 days. It says that the waters were on the earth for 150 days. Very time conscious which is very different than the myth concepts you hear about in other cultures. And nearly every culture on the planet has a flood story, which is rather amazing. In chapter 8, verse 5, the, the mountains become visible in the eighth month. So they're, Moses, very conscious of time. And so the story doesn't have the element of myth as other flood stories do. The book of Persia, you can read, and there's this flood story there. How many of you ever heard of Zeus? Zeus messes with Pandora's box, and it doesn't quite kill everybody, as I recall. And I didn't go back and look at all of that, and you can. But then there's this flood story that comes from Zeus, and he flooded everything. That's crazy. First of all, I've been to Mount Olympus, went all the way to the top, climbed all the way to the top of Mount Olympus. Zeus wasn't there, so I'm just saying. It's a myth. It's a myth. And... What's fascinating about this is not only do we see the very clear elements of time placed, but it tells it as a historical fact. It's not this drummed up mythological thing when you read these other stories of floods in other cultures. And both Jesus and Peter affirm the historicity of the flood. Both of them affirm that. 2 Peter 3 talks about the flood. And Jesus talks about the flood. He says in, in Matthew 24, verse 37, As it was in the days of Noah, so it'll be when the coming of the Son of Man. He refers to Noah. He refers to the flood. He said, well, pastor, that's fascinating. Why is it that our schools don't teach the flood? Well, that's a great question. Why is it that modern-day educators reject the flood? And if you look at your notes, how many of you got notes this morning? If you don't have them, would you raise your hands and we can hook you up? All right, ushers, we got precious Sister Margaret in the back. Would you help her? Thank you so much. 
And if anybody else needs notes, you raise your hand high and our brother will help you out. The rejection of the flood as a historical event has very little to do with evidence. Very little to do with evidence and has much to do or everything to do with one's philosophy. Let me read you a verse from 2 Peter 3. Verse 3, we read it together. Knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust. See, the real problem is not evidence. The real problem is people not wanting to believe it. You see, because if you believe and you come to grip with the evidence, which is overwhelming, okay? And we're going to get to some of the evidence and we're going to disprove some things and try to bring this to you in a very simple way. Not going to get too technical because we'll lose three quarters of the people and you can't wait to eat lunch and all of that. But we're going to dig a little bit and help you. And you can make a lifelong study of these things and become an apologist to be a defender of the faith and to destroy the arguments of the, of the moronic Regarding the flood and, and other things in Scripture, creation scientists, I mean, it's just amazing. In fact, if you take uh, the panels of scientists and they're honest, they all believe that there was a flood. They all believe in the Big Bang. God, God, something, God made a bang. Something happened. It didn't just sprout out of the primordial slime as some would teach. And so here in the flood, it has very little to do, the rejection of the flood has little to do with evidence and very much to do with the rejection of it as a philosophy. You see, because if you believe that there was a flood, then you have to come to believe that there's a God who brought it. And if you believe that there's a God who brought it, that there's a God who not only brought it, but he brought judgment. And then you have to believe that God has a way of, right, of doing things that are right and of doing things that are wrong. And you have to come to grip with that. And people don't because they want to live however they want to. And they don't want to be, people don't generally want to be accountable. They want to be a lawn to themselves. Listen to John chapter 3 and verse 19. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come into the light lest his deeds should be exposed. The issue is an issue of philosophy, not an issue of evidence. Because when you begin to look at the evidence, it is overwhelming that there was a flood. Geologically overwhelming. It's overwhelming evidence that the earth was flooded and even that there was an ark. Wow, wow. Fascinating. So let's look at some of these questions and answer some, some basic questions. Could a worldwide flood have taken place? Could an ark be built to hold the animals, all the animals? Now, let me just tell you, it, it, it kind of lets you know a little bit about me, how I, my brain works. When I first read, the, how I first read, I heard the story when I was a kid, and you know, and all the animals were talking, and I don't know, it was probably something I saw on David and Goliath, you know, that little show or Whatever, how many of you remember that? The bygone era. And uh, but I learned more Bible stuff from David and Goliath, that, that little show. And Anyway, I don't know where I heard all that. But when I got saved and I started really taking interest in the Word, and I came to this, you know, the animals coming in the ark and the feasibility of that, in my mind I thought, well, I guess, I don't know how all the animals, I mean, it, that's like, I mean, the, the ark is 450 feet long. It's 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. It has 33,000 plus square feet per floor, and there's three floors. So that's over 100,000 square feet of space. 
Now that's pretty big. That's 522 railroad cars. That's a big vessel. Each railroad card can hold, car can hold 240 to 244 sheep. I guess this depends on how big the sheep are in each car. So it's big, but in my mind, I'm thinking, man, there's a lot of animals. I mean, how's that going to work? And then I just thought, well, he's God. I guess he could just shrink them. Just put them over there in the boat, and it'd be good. And I was, that's suffice. That's good enough for me. Because, I mean, he's God, right? Could he just shrink them? I'm not saying that's what he did. It's just how my brain works. But you get into studying this, you could really uh, go berserk on, on all of this, but it, it, it works. It can come together and work. Did you know that the... Modern boat building, when it first started, these large vessels like World War I, they went and looked at the Bible, looked at the dimensions of the ark. Did you guys know this? Because they, they say that it, it's very, very difficult, nigh impossible for it to be capsized. Amazing. And so let, let's look at how many animals could be on the boat. Now, the new number of how many species is in the earth presently is 8.7 million species on the earth. And that's a new estimated number, good to be, be between 1 to 3 million species on or off. <laughs> that's a lot of species. She'd be like, what's a species? Go look it up. 6.5 million species are found on land. 2.2 million, that's about 25% of the total, are dwelling in the oceans. So you can remove 25% of the animals right away because they're, they're in the ocean. So they're going to survive because there's water. Let's get it? And really, you begin to boil it down, and you look on the words kind, and you begin to study this thing, and you realize, really, there could have been what I read one scientific report, and I'm no scientist, but I read, I read one report that there's really about 35,000 animals had to get on board. Of, all, of their kind and so on and so forth. Like I said, you can go and look at creationscience.com or creation.com. There's some great websites and study the whole thing out. But when you get to the end of it, it's actually possible, given species that are, uh, that are extinct and so on and so forth, it's actually possible that the animals that got on board were just enough to save them for those that even that would exist after the flood. Kind of amazing. Come on, somebody say, wow. wow. How about, how did Noah get the animals? That's easy. God brought him the animals. That's not, we can move on to the next one. But truth is, well, that's the truth. But what many, many say is there could have been the, the, uh, uh, the migratory instinct birthed at that time. And so how many of you know that the animals, many animals migrate? I was reading about a bird that travels like, 8,000, 10,000 miles to go to Hawaii during the winter. That's a smart bird. But that's a long way to fly. Flies all the way across the Pacific. Just amazing. It's amazing. And so animals have a migratory instinct, and, and some scholars believe that God just awakened that migratory instinct, and they all migrated to the, boat, to the, to the ark. Uh, another thing is if you'll notice that animals have a heightened sense of danger. You ever see a dog before an earthquake or, uh, not cats, they're, they're stupid, but dogs. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. 
But they have a heightened sense of danger. They, they can sense cats are very sensitive that way. They won't come when you call them, but they can sense danger. And uh, so it could have been that God allowed that to take place and, and he brought them. Either way, God brought them to Noah. And how could eight people take care of the animals every day? Now, my first job, as my mom right, remember, one of my first jobs all those years ago in Sagaponic, Long Island, I worked for a man by the name of Bud Topping. He had, was a, uh, a farmer, potato farmer, long-time potato farmer in the end of Long Island, New York, and they had an Arab uh, horse farm. A, a, pardon me. An Arabian horse farm. And Ara- How many of you know what Arabian horses are? All right, they're, they're a hot-blooded animal. Arabian horse farm. And my first job as Bud brought me in, he's like six foot two, seemed like seven foot ten. I was a young boy. He handed me a pitchfork and gave me a wheelbarrow and brought me into the stalls, which were like forever, it seemed. And he brought me to the first stall that was full of horse manure. And he began to shovel out and he did the, he mucked the entire stall himself. This is what I want you to do exactly like this. Do it like this, and, uh, and then that's it. So do all of the stalls. All right, we'll see you later. And that's my, one of my first jobs, pitchfork and horse manure. Can you imagine all of these animals on board the ark? How are you possibly going to get rid of all the manure? How are you going to do that? And I, I mean, I've read, I read so much stuff, almost lost my mind. I mean, they say, well, the cages were grated, and all the turds fell down to the bottom floor. Then what they would do is they'd let in a little water and just wash it out, and everything was all... Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's, that's neat. Maybe. We don't know. It doesn't tell us. But I'll tell you what I do know. I know that animals can hibernate. Is it possible that God allowed for them to hibernate? Come on, it's right there in your notes. The animals hibernated. Another scientific word, they estivated. They, they took rest. Their bodies would, would shut down. You know, I have a couple dogs. And uh, they come most of the time when we call their names. But they're on the ark right now. What do you mean by that? We have trained them from the time they're puppies. Now, just think about, think about that. How many of you have animals? Where's your animal right now? It's in my house. Okay. Do you know when your animal's going to go to the bathroom? Just, I'm just asking. Do you? You, have a, you, have an, you kind of have an idea of their regularity. Am I correct? Because I don't like turds on my couch or anything like that. I, I, don't, I don't like that stuff on my, um, right? So, so you have... You understand how your animal works. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, so we do too. So on Sunday, our dogs fast. They're believing God right now with us. Not really, I'm kidding, but they are fasting. What do you mean? They don't get whole tons of water and giant bowls of food before they're going to be ride the ark for the eight hours that I'm at church. So they're cruising in their kennels, and they like it. They sleep. They're cruising. Is it possible that God would take these animals and cause them to go in sort of a shutdown state where they're not passing all of their refuse, if I can just say it that way, and can go into sort of a hibernated, estivated state and not produce all kinds? Yes. 
I think the grates and the washing and all that could be possible too, but the truth is, it's possible. Everybody say it's possible. All right, and all animals have a latent power to hibernate or estivate. I promise you, I know what my dogs are doing now. They're not freaking out. They're sleeping. They'll freak out when we get home. And we'll let them out and throw a stick and give them some food and have some fun, and then they hibernate for the evening service. All right. Where did all the waters come from? Well, that's a good question. Verse 4 tells us that it rained. And if you look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 6, come on, go there with me. Genesis 1, verse 6. God said, let let there be firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. So what scientists tell us is that there's this vapor or water canopy that existed at that time, that between the earth and its atmosphere, there was this water canopy. And so what they believe happened is that water canopy collapsed and created this flood. Not just a water canopy collapsing, but water burst up from the ground also. So it rained, this bursting of the water canopy, and this change of the water canopy. Now this is interesting. I read a bunch of stuff on this. At the collapsing of a water canopy, it would produce a tremendous amount of wind. And the Bible talks about wind, and it would produce a tremendous amount of wind, and it would produce a tremendous amount of temperature change. And they say literally at the poles of the earth, when this took place, that it went as cold as 150 degrees below zero. That's cold, even by Alaska standards. They have found woolly mammoths with meat still in their mouth. They're still chewing, and they were frozen. I read this story where they got the meat out of a woolly mammoth's mouth, They defrosted it, and it was edible to eat. Huh? How'd you like an ancient burger out of that? No, thanks. What kind of meat was it? I got to wonder. And it's an explanation also of the long life of those before the flood. Uh, A water canopy would protect human beings from harmful UV rays and from the environment that would basically cause you to live less, less not as long, in other words. So you see the lives of people before the flood are much longer. Right after, you see how much shorter they are. Fascinating. So that it explains that. It it explains vegetation in the polar regions. I mean, they're finding all kinds of vegetation uh, on the South Pole. Kind of amazing. And you see, therefore, the great winds brought about temperature changes in, equatorial re- in the equatorial regions and so on and so forth. The earth released underground. How many of you have a well? You have a well? All right, you get water from earth. That's underground water. Can you imagine if God caused the earth to open and all the, we- all the underground water to come to the surface? You'd have a flood. All of those things combined, and it absolutely makes sense. There's geological, overwhelming geological evidence of a worldwide flood. It's overwhelming geological evidence, and yet people still don't teach it in school. Overwhelming. And again, you can study on that. I had a video that I was going to show you, but I figured by this time you're like, just bring me the application, Pastor, because I want to go to lunch. That's what I pretty much figured. Universal belief of the worldwide flood among ancient peoples. And uh, one more thing before we move into applying this to our lives is that there's reports of ark sightings. And you can get into all of that. I found the ark. And I've seen some recent thing that Mount Ararat's really not 
the mountain it was on, this other one used to be Ararat, and so on and so forth. I don't know. I know God knows, but it is fascinating that many believe they've found the, the ark. And so it makes sense to me, but like I said, I don't have to find a piece of the cross to know that it existed. There's a worldwide flood, tons of evidence that backs it up. All right, what does Noah's flood mean to us today? What does it mean? Well, very simply, it means that judgment is real. <laughs> you guys aren't excited about that. Judgment's real. Come on, tell your neighbor judgment's real. Now, when I first got saved, I didn't get that. I got that judgment. Oh, you don't have Jesus, go to hell. I understood that. All right, woo, I got Jesus not going to hell. Then I began to understand that there's a judgment for the believer. And I thought, wait, hold the phone. I don't think I like that so much. Wait a minute, what do you mean the judgment seat of the believer? That means that even though you're washed in the blood of Jesus, you'll stand before God to give an account for your life. Every idle word, every idle deed, you'll be judged for it. You'll suffer loss, but you'll also be rewarded. Come on, I want some rewards on that day. And, and the rewards are not like so you can just walk around like a fat cat and hold your trophy up and say, yeah, you know, that's right. You know, I fought for God. I got it going on, and he rewarded. What'd you do? No, that's not the way it is. The way it is is that he rewards you as a way of saying, I saw your sacrifice, how you put your flesh down. I saw how you turned the other cheek. I saw how you suffered long. I saw it, and I, and I, I just want to acknowledge that you, you suffered and you did that for me. It's more like that. And I don't know exactly. I think the, the greatest reward is to be closer to the throne. And so I think to suffer loss might be you're still in heaven, but you don't get as close to Jesus as, as others might who've paid the price or used their talents and were diligent and so on and so forth. Am I getting through? Maybe I need to preach a whole message on the judgment seat of the believer because many people don't really understand it. So the take-home today about the flood is that judgment's real. Matthew 24, verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That's the take home. Many people are lackadaisical in their walk with God. Many people are living a life winking at sin. One foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom. Just trusting that God is good and it's all going to be alright. Thinking they can continue to fornicate rip God off, do drugs, and just call themselves a Christian. Christian means Christ-like, and the truth is, if you don't live in a Christ-like manner or endeavor to do so, warring against your flesh, continuing to strive to love Him with all your heart, if you don't live that way, then change your name. Don't call yourself a Christian. Call yourself something else. 
Because Christians don't fornicate. Christians don't do drugs. Christians don't rip people off. Now, we all stumble in many ways. I'm not talking about that. Come on. Maybe you've tripped. Get up. Serve God with all your heart. Don't be someone who's half in, half out. It's a painful walk. And furthermore, you'll receive judgment. I'm so thankful for the correction of God. I prayed in the first, the first service this morning. I'm going to pray it again. It's a great prayer. You can agree with me. Well, I hope you mean it, because if you don't, it's going to be really painful. Lord, come and correct me. Come and bring correction to anything. There's not one thing I want in my life that you don't want. And if there's anything in my life that's out of order, if there's anything that's out of accord, I don't want to stand before you and receive judgment for that. I want correction now. I want to change now. I want to be more like you now. Show me, reveal to me, expose anything that's out of accord with your word. And now I'm looking. Now I'm just letting the Holy Spirit search my heart. Some of you are so convicted, you can't wait till I shut up and move on. He told you to quit smoking, and you keep doing it. He told you to quit fornicating, and you keep doing it, and you justify. He told you to tithe, and you refuse to do it. He told you to get away from that thing, and you don't. You keep doing that thing in the dark, and you think it's going to be okay. I'm telling you it's not okay. I plead with you on behalf of heaven tonight, right now, this morning, this afternoon, whatever time it is. It's night somewhere. I plead with you. Get right with God. This is not a joke. This is not some little Christian game we're playing. We're not here to play patty cake for Jesus and go home and just, oh, we just had a, just a wonderful time at church today. No, it's about the end of the earth. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about souls. There really is judgment. Come on, smile at me. It's all right. See, you can repent and you can come back to God. You can get rid of the compromise. A compromised believer is probably one of the worst things that you... I, I've been there. How do you know, I, how do you know it's one of the worst? Because I've, I've done it. I did it. You lukewarm, he spits you out of his mouth. Judgment's real. God wants people saved, and that's why he delays judgment. God is not slack. As some cunt slack is. I'm so thankful I'm not God. And I'm so thankful you're not. For the patience that I have personally experienced. He's been so patient with me. Oh. If I was God, I'd have crushed me long ago. Oh, that's hopeless. <laughs> you say, well, if, God, if God's God, then why do, why do evil people prosper? Hey, man, this is just right now. He knows what he's doing. Just trust him. Trust his leadership. So many people want all the blessings, want everything. He's working on your character. He's more concerned about your character than anything else. I've seen people get all the blessings without the character. They blow up and kill people. You know, I've been party, uh, not party, I've experienced and been a third party trying to help people who failed. And I guess I'm in moral failure embezzlement, 
all kinds of nightmares we've tried to help people in over the years. First of all, I think the thing that's overwhelming to me is how somehow God and His mercy has kept me and that I haven't wiped out. No, I'm, I'm just, I'm like, wow, God, you're keeping me. And, and I know it's prayer. I don't, I don't have, I, look, none of us know what's in the deep recesses of our heart. You don't know. So that's why you have to develop in your life people that, that know you and love you and will speak truth to you, will help you. I don't want to have, I don't want to have surface relationships where we all smile at each other and go, well, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise God. Hey, praise God, hallelujah, praise God. Then we all just go home and suffer or whatever. There is suffering for righteousness sake, but the, the blessing of God, listen, you have, to, you have to walk in God in such a way so that you don't suffer loss and so that you don't, you know, even the elect can be deceived. I've got to move to a close here. When I was a little boy on 17 Highwood Road, I remember a moment, I was probably five years old, Mom. You know, I've told these stories for years, but I finally get to have my mama on the front row and preach to her and tell them. I was probably five years old, and I went into the master bedroom, you know, the old one, the one before you did the addition. And um, you and Dad were there. It was like, you know, Sunday morning or something, and I crawled into bed, and I remember putting my head on Dad's chest. And he was just Superman to me, you know. And all, all boys and girls should see their father as a Superman. And that's how I saw him. He's big, strong, fast, smart, my dad. And I remember putting my head on his chest, and I would listen to his heart. And this one particular time, it just got burned in my spirit as I listened to his heartbeat. It was strong and regular, and I listened for a while. And I went out, and I looked at my dad, and he smiled at me. I said, I can hear your heart. He says, yeah. Listened again. And it just made an impact on me so much so that when my kids were born, they did the same thing. I would have that, I would listen to their heart and they would listen to mine. And I've told some of these stories before. It was many years ago where I was in prayer or meet, I forget how it all happened, but I put my head in the spirit, if you will, on the chest of our Heavenly Father. And what I heard was that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. None to perish, all to come to repentance. None to perish, all to come to repentance. That is the heartbeat of God. He wants all, everybody to enter into the ark. He wants everybody to come in. He wants no one to perish. That's not his heart. He wants all to be saved. And as we bring this to a further conclusion, learn to live right. Live right. Look, Noah lived right. He was a preacher of righteousness, and he didn't even have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit, I hope. And if you don't, you should ask for it. Him to fill you. Noah didn't have the Holy Spirit, and yet he stood in a wicked, evil age and declared righteousness to people. A preacher of righteousness. There's one day God's going to close the ark. One day it's going to end. Where will you be, sir, ma'am, brothers and sisters, my brethren? Where will you be on that day? And by the way, for you, that, might, that day might be 10 minutes from now. Hello? 
See, many people live their lives just thinking, well, I just can't wait till I get it next year, next year. Yeah, and that's why they say the Lord will. The Lord willing. You don't know if this is your last service you'll ever be in all of your life. This could be the final service that you're in. So examine your heart and don't play religious games. Let the Holy Spirit look deep into you. Are you saved? Are you really saved? Or are you playing some stupid religious game? If you're playing religious games, you will hate this church. I'll be sure of it. I can't help myself. Come on, you can walk in freedom. You can walk in truth. You can be healed. You can be free. You can be holy. Look at your notes. You can be holy. You can live holy. And lastly, an application. Spread the gospel. Spread the good news. Come on, somebody say, I'm going to be a spreader of the good news. Did you receive something this morning? Would you stand up on your feet all across this place? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, search me. Search our hearts. Come on, just ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart today. Search our hearts today. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness. Lord, bring your correction to us. If you're not right with God, we'll close the service here in about three minutes. If you're not right with God, won't you give your heart back to Him or give your heart to Him for the first time, won't you? If that's you, you want to give your heart to Jesus for the first time or you want to make a recommitment, just pray this prayer right out loud. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to die in my place, to rise again from the grave for me. Forgive me of all of my sin. Wash me, cleanse me, and make me new. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. And help me, God, to share the good news of salvation and forgiveness for all who believe. That I would be, even like Noah, a preacher of righteousness by my words, by my deeds, the thoughts and the intents of my heart would be aligned with you and your purpose for me, for my family, for my church. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for what you've done today. We thank you, Lord, that you're patient and kind and gentle, long-suffering. Bring a mighty revival, Lord, before the coming of that mighty day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Bring a mighty awakening, God, in this land. Lord, bring preachers of righteousness and those who declare your goodness. Lord, help us to stand in an evil and a wicked day and hour where people are marrying, giving in marriage, and doing whatever they please. Lord, may we live holy and free and on fire for you. Motivated by your love. Motivated by the things of the kingdom. Now bless your people. Cause your face to shine upon us. 
Lift up your countenance towards us, oh God. Keep us. And give us peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I hope to see you tonight. Happy Memorial Day. Thanks for listening to King's Chapel, Alaska and Pastor Daniel Bracken. Our passion is making disciples of Jesus Christ who fulfill God's life call and help us to be the personal, powerful and permeating church God's called us to be. Get in touch with us anytime at 907-357-2065, 907-357-2065 or online at kcalaska.com, kcalaska.com. Friend us on Facebook and follow Pastor Daniel's tweets at Alaska Revival.